hope the sisters let me. Judges 10, starting at verse 6, and we're going to go through to chapter 11, verse 11, and then we're going to pick it up again at verse 28. Uh, so that's page 178 in the Red Pew Bibles, if you haven't got it. Yeah, lots of it. It's like fragmentation of the Red Pew Bibles. Need to consolidate. 254 or 178. Okay, it, we, we've been here for a while, so we've got it now. Um, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin and the house of Ephraim, the Is and, and Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amal Amalekites, and the Ammonites oppressed you and cried, and you cried out to me for help. Did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods. I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best. But please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped in Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all those living in Gilead. Jephthah, I think that's how you say it, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander, so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why would you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So the people made him head and commander over them. 
and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So this is the bit where we're doing the tricky thing and we're jumping ahead a bit. So we're going to verse 28 now. And picking up verse 28, yep. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message of Jephthah. To, no attention to the message Jephthah had sent him. When then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, he crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes to out, of my, out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He, devasti he devastated twenty towns from Aror to the vicinity of Minnath. As far as Abel Keramim, thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of the tambourine? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched, because I have a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said. But he let her go for, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days and commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Now, the section that I'm looking at today is fairly lengthy, so although we had a Bible reading that covered some of it, we're going to be basically making our way from chapter 10, verse 1 through to chapter 12, verse 7. So some of what I'll do, it'll involve you just doing a bit of reading with me as I get through that section. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, that's okay too. You can just sit there and listen because I'll, I'll still be reading it, so you can tune in that way. I'll let us in the time of prayer and then we'll make our way through this section on the patience of God. Let us pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your kindness in giving us your word. And we pray that we benefit as we read this section in Judges now and understand it on its own terms in that, that part of the book, but also as part of a, a larger storyline about your plans for your people. We thank you for this time now and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got in my introduction a note about uh, stretching the friendship. Uh, I wonder if you can remember times when people have taken you to your limits and possibly stretched the friendship. I heard a good story recently where some uh, tourists took an overseas trip to Africa. They went to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and organised some tour guides to help take them there. They had a pretty good time and at the end of it, to sort of celebrate, they were having drinks together. But even though the, the journey had ended and the tourists had finished paying their money, 
there was still an ex expectation from the tour guides that the tourists would pay for their drinks. And so they started to stretch the friendship. Well, the tourists were good-natured, and so because they'd had a good trip, they thought, yes, well, we can pay for the, all these tour guides for their drinks and for their, their friends as well. Uh, but then the trouble came when the tour guides suggested that they share a meal together. And you guessed it, that they were also expecting the tourists, those wealthy tourists, to pay for their meals then as well. Well, that was asking too much. They uh, stretched the friendship too far. There's only far, so far you can take a rubber band and stretch it before. And at this point, they found their breaking point as well. So what was a pretty nice trip just started to head south a bit. It just it lost, lost a bit of the nice flavour. Well, did you notice as we read the passage earlier today that that was the kind of thing that Israel was doing with God? They were stretching the friendship too far. And we've seen a bit of that in our journey through the book of Judges. There's been ups and downs. The people have been delivered into the land, but unfortunately they didn't occupy it all. And so there's been the seeds of their temptation to worship and serve the other gods of the nations around them. That's been one of the traps. Yet after judging Israel for their rebellion against God, we've seen God's been kind. He's raised up different judges at different times uh, when his people have turned back. And this pattern of a judge being raised, raised up is also happening in today's passage as well. And so we can see that Israel's relationship with God might be compared to something of a roller coaster. Uh, there, are, there are some high points, but there's some low points as well. Well, in chapter 10, in the first couple of verses, 1 to 5, we see that there are some judges who what might be described as minor judges. We don't get much information about them. But together they lead Israel for about 45 years. But then we see a breakdown occur in verse 6. I'll pick it up in verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and Ashtoreth, etc. And God's reaction to his people is to bring about some judgment. And so we see that in verse 7. And he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. And so we see that there's a, a tension that's happened between God and Israel. There's conflict. And their suffering and judgment comes at the form of the, at the hands of the other nations. Well, this is a, a low point on the roller coaster. Israel is desperate, though, and in verse 10 cries to God for help. We've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And God's response is to remind them that this is, this is going on too much. This kind of pattern is, is uh, taking him for granted. It's treating his grace as cheap. We see in verse 11, the Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Mayanites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? And we're expecting an answer, yes, you did. Verse 13, but you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. 
Well, we see that they've, they've had these words to turn back to God, but then finally they actually get rid of their idols. There, there is some repentance in action. They show their repentance in verse 16 by getting rid of their idols, and then we read that God could bear, bear Israel's misery no longer. And so what do we learn at this point? Well, we learn something about the character of God, even though... Uh, these people have really uh, shown that they're, they're treating God's grace cheaply. God is still willing to be faithful to them. And in some respects, it would be easy for us uh, living today in the 21st century to look down on these, these people who are so inconsistent in their walk with the Lord. But the question is, how many of us are living such consistent Christian lives that there are things that we don't need to repent of and of course there's nobody here who, who who lives such a consistent christian life they can look look at their life and say there's nothing i need to repent of and so we we too find ourselves uh, needing to rely on a, a god who's merciful and compassionate in one john we read if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. Isn't it good to know that God's willing to forgive us as we keep short accounts with him and turn back? Well, tension continues to rise in the story in verses 17 and 18. We find that the Ammonites are called to arms and they camp nearby. Israel assembles, but Israel doesn't have any leader. And so there's an incentive given for somebody to lead Israel. Now, just at this point, Andrew, I'm going to fix that problem for you because if you've got no vision in the crash, I'll come and sort it out. There's a blunder, but the recovery team's pretty good. So that won't even flick to another mode. That'll be good. Johnny on the spot. All right, back on the story. Folks, thanks for, uh, thanks for being godly and patient there while they get sorted out in the crash. So there's an incentive for somebody to lead Israel. We're picking it up at verse 18, if you're following the story. Uh, the leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. There we go. We need a leader, and you can even be the chief. And so we see that a saviour is raised up in chapter 11. And I'm going to call him Jephthah. It'd be nice to just call him Jeff, but that might be a bit disrespectful. So Jephthah from Gilead's described as a mighty warrior in 11 verse 1. But he comes from fairly humble beginnings. His pedigree is not altogether impressive. His father... Gilead, presumably he's um, a local from Gilead, uh, and his mother is a prostitute. And his brothers don't want to know about him, presumably because he's going to deplete their inheritance. Now, where there's a will, there's a way, but also where there's a will, there's a fight, and it looks like it started here early. And so he flees from his brothers, and a group of adventurers gather around him and follow him. This seems to be actually a, a bunch of... Um, bunch of bikies actually in the days before bikes uh, these people are probably some henchmen 
and he probably makes his money um, by being a warrior and, and getting some plunder. So his henchmen come in handy. Now, one of the ironies I hope you saw in this story is that the very guy that gets driven away, they now turn to for help. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if he was a bit of a tough customer and the brothers didn't like him for that reason, so they thought we'd, we'd better get rid of him. But now he's coming in handy. We pick it up in verse 4. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come now? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Now, here's one of the more intriguing parts of the story too, which I, th I think you'll find interesting is that this is a little bit like Israel, isn't it? The Israelites don't want to know God in the same way as uh, Jephthah's brothers don't want to know him. But now that the people in Gilead are faced with hardship, they, they want to turn to Jephthah for help, don't they? Well, that sounds a bit like Israel and God, doesn't it? The, now that the Israelites are facing hardship, they turn back to God for help. Just an interesting little parallel there, isn't there? Well, there's nothing quite like some suffering and adversity for us uh, to want to come to know the Lord and walk closely with him and, and to pray more regularly. And that seems to be is what's happening with Israel as well. Well, Jephthah can sniff the opportunity to be the chief. As they say in boxing, he's going to have a shot at the title. A bit like what I'm going to do with Scott now that he's away and I can knock Scott out of the top spot and become minister of this church. Just joking, actually. I'm very happy being the assistant. That's why I can joke about this. Um, but it's a big moment for Jephthah. And he wants to confirm the terms of the arrangement. He's quite, quite good with the gift of the gab. Uh, verse 8, the elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us and fight the Ammonites and you'll be head over us who live in Gilead. Verse 9, Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly, we will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So he gets the term sorted out. Despite his humble beginnings, uh, he's someone who seems to have the gift of the gab. He negotiates with the elders and then a bit like what's happening uh, in our world at the moment. Do you remember, uh, I think the American military leader, Mad Dog Mattis, said of the North Koreans, there's always room for talk. We don't have to go straight to missiles. And so Jephthah has a promising start. He doesn't go straight for the weapons. He goes to speak with the Ammonite king. We'll pick that up in chapter 11, verse 12. This is Jephthah's promising start in the outline. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, when Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land 
from the Arnon to the Jabbok. Those are the little um, wadis, creeks that run into the Jordan. All the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. Jephthah sent, sent back messengers to the Ammonite king saying, this is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. And he continues to give him a history lesson on pretty much how uh, God had given them the land. We'll skip down to verse 23 to get a handle on that story. Verse 23, now since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven out the Amorites out before his people Israel, what right have you to take it over? Will you not take what your God, Chemosh, gives you? E.g., not much and certainly not this land. Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Finally, to settle the dispute, in verse 27, Jephthah says, I have not wronged you, but you are doing wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. That's a fairly key verse, by the way. It reminds us that even though we're reading Judges, the Lord's the judge, and Jephthah can see that. Verse 28, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. And so we're left with a standoff, and these are now fighting words. In some, Jephthah is saying, we're not going to give up the land, not without a fight. Which brings us to what happens next. In verse 29, the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. He crosses over Gilead and Manasseh, passes through another part of um, Gilead and advances against the Ammonites. And then he makes this foolish vow in verse 30. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Minnith as far as Abel Kerimin. Thus Israel subdued Amnon, Ammon. So we see that the spirit of the Lord is upon Jephthah as he leads Israel into victory. But sadly, he is a fool because he makes a, a very unwise vow as he builds up to the battle. Uh, we see that he's a, a leader of Israel, but he's got feet of clay. He has some strengths, but he certainly has some weaknesses. And in the section that Lachlan read to us before, we can see that um, he paints himself into a corner and says when he gets, um, gets home, he's got a problem. We'll pick it up in verse 34. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child, except for her he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw, he, he tore his clothes and cried out, Oh no, my daughter, you've brought me down and I'm devastated. I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, as she replied, You've given your word to the Lord, do to me just as you promised now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. And then she asks for some time to head into the woods with her friends, which is a nice thing before she dies. And we see that Jephthah doesn't seem to have a handle on maybe trusting God to give the victory 
apart from offering a rash kind of vow. We know, we know that God's showing compassion from chapter 10, verse 16. You can't stand Israel's misery any longer. Um, but Jephthah can't seem to see the future, that God's going to give him the victory, and he seems to almost be trying to bargain with God. Makes this rash vow, and it's hard to know what he was thinking, isn't it? What's he thinking is going to come out of his door? Is it... Is going to be Fido or, you know, Snoopy, Scooby-Doo or some, some kind of little pet. It's sort of hard to imagine what he's thinking is going to be coming out. But it's, it's, it's rotten and it's rotten to think that even things have declined in Israel to this point as well. And the Bible doesn't endorse any human sacrifice. Um, and so this is a point of foolishness that we can't say, oh, this is a great thing. The only thing that can be retrieved from this is that Jephthah has a consciousness of wanting to still stick to his vow. It's a dreadful vow, but he nonetheless wants to stick to that, you know. And if that's the only thing we could take out of that element there. So we see a leader uh, who is courageous in battle, but he still has weakness uh, to go into a, a battle resorting to that kind of vow to hopefully get the upper hand. Well, God saves Israel in spite of, of her patterns of rebellion and God can even save Israel by means of weak and frail people. God can bring about his plans even, even through weak people and means. Well, before there's a time of peace, we do end up with a period uh, where there's also some strife, some chaos, some civil war and that's in chapter 12 verses 1 to 7. Some of the other Israelites get jealous of Jephthah's uh, victory and then they start accusing him of not inviting them to join him and he accuses them of failing to come and help when he calls. And after some insults, the, escal the situation escalates and, and a type of war follows. In chapter 12, verse 4, Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim, which is a tribe of Israel. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. So that just turned up the heat. And so the, verse 5, the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim, which is blocking the river. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, are you an Ephraimite? If he replied, no. They said, all right, say Shibboleth. If he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel six years, then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in a town in Gilead. And so we see uh, finally there is some peace, which is good for Israel, uh, but not before there's a pain of some civil war that doesn't reflect God's intentions for his people to live in the land as his people with his laws which are to look after the poor and to have their own vine and fig tree and to live in a type of peace under his kingship this is still a mess that grows out of their rebellion well what could israel take from this story of jephthah well in the first place they need to remember uh, who was their true judge who was their true king and ruler and that was god uh, jephthah says the same thing in verse 27 of chapter 11 let the lord the judge decide the dispute 
this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. And so we see uh, Jephthah is conscious that God really is the, the judge. And the people need to remember that and not treat his grace cheaply. They needed to remember that and maintain their walk with the Lord in a consistent way, uh, like they did when a judge had been raised up and called them to turn from their wicked ways. They, they needed to be more consistent. But what about for us? What lessons can we take from this part of the Bible? Well, in the first place, we need to remember that sin matters and we need to walk closely with the Lord as well. From time to time, we might fool ourselves into thinking that sin doesn't matter that much and that we can treat God's grace cheaply. But from today's passage, we can see that um, this stretches the friendship with God. And so we've got to remember that uh, we still need to keep battling with sin. This is the time not to just give up, to let go and let God. This is the time to continue uh, to struggle against sin. We're reminded in Romans chapter 6 not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies where we've been united to Christ, where we're new creations in Christ. We've been called to a, a new way of living. And so Paul can say uh, we must not let sin reign he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. We've got to say, that's, that's an old way of life. We've got to keep struggling against that and we've got, to, got the challenge to live up to that new life that we're, where anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. That's the new life we've been called to. So one of the lessons for us is our walk with the Lord. We, we need to remember sin still matters. A second lesson is that uh, we have a much better saviour than Jephthah. Uh, it is good that God raised up weak people to still do the trick to, to rescue Israel, but we can't look to him as our best example, can we? Uh, at the senior youth group, we've been working through Mark's gospel and seeing how Jesus has authority over sin, nature, demons, sickness and death. He is a wonderful saviour and he's encouraging words. This is one of the words, some of the words he spoke to the demoniac possessed by a legion of demons. He said to the man, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Jesus has got uh, authority to, to deal with our sin. He's a wonderful saviour and he's got encouraging words for us. In the story today, we saw that Jephthah went home to his family, but it only in, ended in tears. Well, we've got a much better saviour than Jephthah. And it's good to know that he was willing to offer his own life as a sacrifice for our sins, uh, not put somebody else's life on the line. And so one of the lessons for us is our saviour is much better even than Jephthah. Finally, one of the lessons we can learn is our peace is something which endures forever. The Israelites had these seasons of peace when, when a judge came before they dropped the ball again. Uh, but we're reminded that, that Christ is a mediator of a new covenant and those who are called, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And so we've got a peace. We remember that the promised land is just a shadow of a, of a heavenly reality. That one is only for a season that they had peace there. But we've got an eternal inheritance uh, to enjoy. As long as we hold on to the Lord both in this life, uh, we'll enjoy that peace in the life to come forever. So there we go. We've got some uh, challenges there to keep walking consistently with the Lord, not to treat God's grace cheaply, cheaply, to remember we've got a wonderful saviour 
who laid down his life for us and we've got a peace which is going to endure as we hold on to him. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. And Lord God, we pray that you'd help us not to be among those who uh, treat you uh, disrespectfully and, and wander from you. We pray that you'd help us to be those who uh, walk closely with you and to uh, be grateful for your grace to us in Christ. Help us to continue to struggle against sin and to, to turn away from it, uh, to love and serve you for your glory. We give you thanks for Jesus who is a wonderful saviour who willingly laid down his life for our sakes to deal completely with our sin and we thank you for the assurance of the life that we have with you through his work. Lord, we give you thanks for the hope that um, will endure forever and we pray that we'd hold on to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, both uh, in this life and enjoy being with you in the life to come. Lord, help us to uh, live out our lives these days for your glory. Help us and strengthen us in that process. Thank you for this day when we can encourage each other to do the same thing. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.